What's up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastic today. This is Raphael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode 223 of the the MMA Ratings Podcast. We got a couple of different topics to talk about today, but um, we're back this week. Of course, we're going to be talking about the news that broke earlier today with Dana White having COVID-19. We're going to talk about Kevin Lee being released. We've got some big fights this weekend, and we're also going to talk about the big upset in boxing from this past weekend. So we have a couple of topics to entertain you with today. But before we jump into that, let's always start off with thanking everyone who takes the time to listen to our content. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you see us. You can catch us across multiple platforms, which includes um, MMARatings.net and .com, MMARatings.net on Instagram and Twitter. Search for MMA Ratings on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify, YouTube as well. To find all of our channels, myself, you can get me up at Garcia underscore sports, and Sean Hughes, you can find him at T-Black, Gerald Green, and both spaces. But uh, Sean, how you doing today? Uh, can't complain, man. Just got in, uh, was training a kid. They got a tournament coming up this weekend, so I got two more. I got two more kids I'll be training tomorrow and I think Friday. These two-hour sessions, though, man, they're exhausting. Uh, I, I don't know how you do it, because I, I couldn't be around kids as much as, as you do, so my hat, my hat tips off. So the worst part is when, eventually when you have kids and you, like, you know, you're paying for some of the system or something, whether it's academic or whatever, that person feels that pressure because the parents are like, I put my money down. I might not know nothing about this, but I know I paid you. <laughs> so I want to go. That's all that matters is get them out of my hair for a little while. Yeah. So I want to start today's show by talking about Bellator. We usually don't start with Bellator, but Bellator has a big fight this weekend that I've heard some people talk about, but I don't think it's getting the the overall attention that it should, where we have Kyoji Horiguchi is facing off against Sergio Pettis. For anyone who may not remember, from living under a rock, um, Kyoji Horiguchi is probably one of the best bantamweights in the world. He lost to Demetrius Johnson, and he's gone on a pretty strong run since winning titles in Ryzen and Bellator. He was a double champion, holding both of those organizations bent on weight titles until he injured his knee. He recently came back. I think he's won two fights since, and now he is coming back to Bellator to face off against Pettis for the title that he never lost. Sergio Pettis, obviously, is a younger brother of Anthony Pettis, had a little bit of a run in the UFC, never really blossomed into what people thought he was going to be. They thought he was going to be some world beater like his brother and potentially become a champion there, but that did not happen. Moved over to Bellator. He's looked like he's matured a lot in the fight game, and he has found success there, defeating Juan Archuleta for the vacant title that Horiguchi had to had to let go. So now we have these two men fighting on December 3rd for the uh, Bellator 135-pound title. Shawan, how big of a fight is this for Bellator just off of jump? Let's start from there first, and then we're going to talk about the importance of this fight. But how big of a fight is this this weekend? Well, the main thing that makes it it's big, it's not as big as it could be because of um, the nature of the matchup. I mean, Horiguchi, any, any fight he's in is big because he's considered one of the top and worst top five bantamweights in the world. There's people who feel like if he was in the UFC, if he wouldn't be contending for a title, he'd possibly hold a title uh, due to his combination of athleticism, durability, and his his rather stellar stellar striking skills. Um, the reason it's not as big is because this is kind of being seen as a good fight, but a fight that Horiguchi Cor- is dramatically favored in against Pettis. Not because Pettis isn't a good fighter, but Horiguchi's for the most part, has proven himself to be a class above most Bellator bantamweights and probably a class above everybody except the top four bantamweights in the UFC. So a lot of people are coming into this assuming that um, Pettis is probably going to get stopped. Um, It might be competitive for a while, but they're assuming Pettis is probably going to get stopped and probably get beaten in dramatic fashion, given how um, dynamic Koriguchi looked in his fight um, to regain his other title in Risen. So let's start there. Let's start with the odds, because I'm always concerned about a fighter coming off a long layoff. Yes, um, Horiguchi has competed since his injury. He's competed over in Ryzen, but I think this is a big step up in competition. Yeah. So do you think the odds are correct? Do you think that they should be as big as they are 
in the favor of the former champion. Well, before before I really get into it, I have to say one thing. Like a lot of people thought uh, Sergio Pettis' time in the UFC was a failure, but it was only a failure if you thought he was a miniature Anthony Pettis. And he tried to fight like one, and that's what actually got him in trouble early on. He was never the athlete Anthony was, and he's never had the power or the durability that Anthony has. When he started fighting within himself and fleeing on his skills and his IQ, which he's always had much more so than Anthony Pettis, he started having success. Ultimately, what held him back in the UFC is he never really had that horsepower. He never had that ability to take a huge amount of punishment and continue fighting at a certain pace or, or fighting with a certain sort of intensity. That's the thing that's kind of, kind of bailed Anthony out. You could, he could take the biggest shots, and you could have Yael landing him 5-1, to one, and then he'd jump up and knee you or jump off the cage and kick you. And if he didn't knock you out, he'd turn the whole fight around. Or if you were out wrestling him, he would just snatch submission out of everywhere. It wasn't a lot of technically sound, structured approaches or strategies. It was basically him having enough durability to last and having enough athleticism to dynamically end a fight with something that somebody else would just use to slow your pace or slow your forward pressure. He would just end fights with big right hands or grabbing arm bars or getting rear naked chokes or whatever it is. Sergio never had that. And the reason people are favoring Horiguchi so much is because Horiguchi has been notoriously more durable, notoriously a bigger hitter, faster, stronger, like every athletic aspect you could have. Sergio Pettis really isn't in Horiguchi's class. The only class, the only question is, is how if Horiguchi's body holds up if he's really able to come back and fight at top levels with his knee injury. Um, I personally think the fight should be a little bit closer, but that's only because Sergio Pettis is a very good fighter. He's because he's aware of his limitations. He fights defensively sound. He fights at a certain pace. He doesn't over. He doesn't push himself. He doesn't put himself in bad spots. And because he knows he's not super athletic, he's taught himself how to navigate rough spots on the feet or navigate rough spots on the ground and kind of work his way back into fights. He's kind of like a Kenny Florian. It would be the best comparison, not style-wise, but as far as his approach to the game and his ability to navigate it with the la- with the inferior athleticism to the people in his division. But um, the fav- it should be Horiguchi should be favored. Um, nobody would generally put Sergio Pettis in the same class as Horiguchi, and if not for Horiguchi giving up the title, I don't know that Pettis would have beat him as a challenger. And Horiguchi was 100% healthy and at his best. So while I do think the odds should be greatly in Horiguchi's favor, I feel like they are slightly disrespecting um, the maturity of Sergio Pettis, the discipline, the defensive awareness, and the deliberate offense that he exhibits. Once again, the question only comes down to physical ability. Can he hurt Horiguchi? Can he back him up? Can he take him down? Can he hold him down? Can Can he catch when Horiguchi starts pitching? Those are the questions we have. And Historically, we know the answers with it, but that's why they favor Horiguchi so dramatically. So I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot right out the gate. Who do you think wins and, and how? Uh, I'm just going to go with Horiguchi. I know he's um hasn't competed for a while, but I just feel like he's a better class of fighter. I, I'm not sure if it's – I think it's going to be by stoppage just because I've never really seen – I've never really seen – um. Pettis really worked through a huge amount of punishment. I've seen him backed up by lesser strikers. I've seen him hurt by guys with less power. I've seen him get takedowns and not be able to maintain them or finish them, complete them against guys who were lesser athletes, even if they weren't great wrestlers. He's always had a problem with guys with a certain amount of physicality, a certain amount of athleticism. Um, if Horiguchi's 100% his body holds up, I'm not sure what Sergio throws at him that really hurts him, and I'm not sure that Sergio can survive if Horiguchi starts teeing off on him either. So it's it's basically the gap in their athleticism and their durability, which is which caused me to lean in favor of Horiguchi. Obviously, Horiguchi is very skilled, and he may, in fact, even be more skilled than Sergio Pettis as well. But when the skills are close and the athleticism is close, you can navigate that with intensity, strategy, movement. You, there's certain things you can do to level that out. But when a guy is so much – I mean, Horiguchi is like a Class A athlete – Pettis at best is like a B minus. Um, that's a big gap to close. And I, I don't personally think that Sergio Pettis can close it. Now, could he catch him? Yeah. Could he get him in a bad spot and finish him? Possibly. Uh, Pettis is very opportunistic. He's very well prepared. He's very well conditioned. But it's very hard for me to pick him when I just know that at his best, he can't take what Horiguchi is going to dish out. And at his 
even at his worst, I figure Horiguchi can handle most of what um, Sergio Pettis has to dish out. If you look at the guys he beat to get this title, I don't know that they're on a comparable level with some of the guys that um, Horiguchi had to beat to get his title. I think they beat two different classes of fighters, and they beat them in two different manners. And I think it's hard to look at anything on either one of the guys' resume that says Pettis has ever beaten somebody with Horiguchi's athleticism or with Horiguchi's type of striking skill. He just hasn't. I think Horiguchi's beaten guys of a caliber close to what Sergio Pettis brings to the table. So I actually agree. I think that Horiguchi is going to win as well, too. He has not fought since September of 2020. Let's see if that's right. Hold on. Uh, the last fight, he... December yeah, 31st, he, uh, 2020. So it's, it'll be a little bit less than a year since he injured his knee. So let me ask you this, and then we'll move on to the next topic. If Horiguchi wins on Saturday, or even if um, Sergio Pettis wins on Saturday, does either man have a claim to being the best bantamweight in the sport? I would say if Horiguchi wins it, he he has a claim that the, because of the, the guys he's beaten. In Sergio Pettis' run in Bellator, I mean, with the exception of Juan Archuleta, I don't know that he's beaten really, you know, standout opponents. Ricky Bendejas, he wasn't great. Tyson Nam was was great. um, Cejudo? Um, No, he lost to Cejudo. Um, He lost to Cejudo, and UFC lost to Cejudo. He He lost to Formiga. He He lost to Ryan. Yeah, he beat, yeah, he beat Bannon and and at the minute, Moreno was a better athlete, but Moreno had no structure to how he was fighting then. He couldn't put things together. Like, if you have a together and isn't really aware of balance, you can do that. But Horiguchi's actually a very aware, balanced fighter. He's as, at least as good a boxer as Sergio Pettis. But overall, maybe he doesn't have a kickboxing, tie boxing type style, but he has a heavily influenced traditional martial arts style, and he's a little bit quicker off the trigger defensively and offensively. So... There's spots you can get Horiguchi in, but you have to have a certain level of athleticism or you have a certain level of skill. I don't know that Pettis has either at a high enough level to constantly expose him. To extend him, maybe. To last some rounds, maybe. But to actually beat him, it's it's hard for me to picture a way that Sergio Pettis lands a shot and it stuns him and puts him on his heels or backs him up without Horiguchi getting injured. Unless Horiguchi overnight loses his chin. When Pettis has faced a better caliber of athlete, he has generally lost, and he's very rarely been dominant, even when he's beaten guys. He's always been a kind of decision, 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 decision. He's he's not really a guy who puts people away. He's not really a guy who just beats the hell out of people. That's never been who he is. So it's it's hard for me to imagine the guy who lost to Rob Font and the guy who was more or less bullied by Henry Cejudo um, is going to come out and just give the business to, to Horiguchi, unless Horiguchi is in decline or, or he's not – coming in healthy. I, it's really hard for me to picture any form or fashion where he beats him because he'd have to hurt him or dominate position physically for him to do the damage he needs to do to win. And he's never done that against anybody. Even in Bellator, he's never just run over anybody. Arcelotta fight, he didn't run over him. Even the Band-Aid House fights, he didn't really dominate him like that. So it's like it just, it just, it's hard for me to picture it. I can see him landing strikes. I can see him getting a certain amount of work done. But can he do it with enough intensity and damaged to turn the fight or win a fight. I haven't seen that from him even now. Those are some good thoughts there, sir. And, and I really agree with that. I'm looking forward. I'm really just most interested in seeing how Horiguchi looks after the layoff, after it being such a serious knee injury. Um, I've always been a fan of his, even back when he lost to Demetrius Johnson. I was really worried about um, him beating uh, DJ in that fight. But he um, continues to, to to win his event. Other than... Demetrius Johnson, he's avenged the other losses in his career. So let's see what he looks like Saturday. The one, the one thing I want to do is give Sergio Pettis. I'm glad he's getting his time in the sun because he was always Anthony Pettis' younger brother. And at this degree, people had to acknowledge at least, as you see Anthony fade because his skills his skills have never been really elite. And as his athleticism is waned, you start see, seeing the limitations of Anthony Pettis. And later in their career, Sergio Pettis is actually coming on and having better results and better consistency. So I'm glad that he gets his time outside the shadow and really gets some value as a fighter on his own. I mean, people now have to have a discussion that maybe Sergio Pettis was the better fighter at all times. And now, while he wasn't always the better fighter, he was always the more skilled 
higher IQ, more deliberate fighter. And now he's kind of getting some credit and he's getting some notoriety. Whether he earned that title directly, Horiguchi gave it up. The fact is he still had to win it, and he did. So I'm glad that he's getting some. I'm glad that he's getting his time in the sun. He's getting acknowledged as an independent fighter outside of Anthony. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, is there anything else on this card, the Bellator card at all, that stands out to you before we move on? Not really. I mean, that's that's the big thing that's selling Bellator's card. They have, for one, one of the few times where they can say we have a guy who actually would be in the top five in the UFC. That's what's making this fight appealing and interesting because Horiguchi's been so dominant. If he wins this fight, the question will be, you know, will he think about going to the UFC? Can they work something out so we can see how he holds up? Now that he's at his peak of his powers, how does he do in the UFC? But that, that's what's basically selling this card, this fight. Bellator's undercards, aren't net, they've gotten better, but they don't have enough appeal as far as the resumes of the fighters or the current st- state of the fighters to draw in fans. That's why they try and make these historically interesting fights with, with huge buildups or fights where they have you know, one or two tremendous fighters because that's what's going to sell the card. They don't have anything else as far as depth. You know, as far as matchups that, that line up with anything the UFC is offering, if you're really if you're really being honest about it. All right, so we're not even going to waste any more time on that card then, and let's move on to UFC because that's on Saturday, and we have Rob Font fighting Jose Aldo. Um, this is a big fight for both men, specifically Rob Font, if he could pick up a win here and and position himself a little bit better in the 135 pound division. How do you see this fight playing out between these two men? Um, my biggest concern is if Jose Aldo's head movement gets him into trouble. That's my big concern for him, that the head movement is going to get him countered or um, trapped because he's going to have to work harder to get around Font's strikes. And if he's constantly moving his head, that's going to give Font a chance to attack his legs and attack his body and use his jab to disrupt his rhythm. And a lot of what Jose Aldo does is that he's dipping, countering, dipping, getting a guy to overcommit, spinning him, getting up against the cage and pressuring him or overwhelming him. And Font has a really educated jab and he has really educated feet. So it's going to be a little bit harder for him to get away with doing those things. He's, I, I feel like he's going to have to work at a little bit higher of a pace than he's used to working at because Font's an educated striker, which means he's not just going to be there to be countered or there to be trapped or walk into traps he's actually going to have to work to get him into positions and work to get out of positions. And Jose Aldo's always shown brilliance, but when he's mostly been exposed against Holloway, against Volkanovski, against um, Jan, it's been a matter of conditioning. He wasn't able to maintain a pace and level of intensity. He'd have like a round and a half, two rounds where he could do it, and then third round he gets real defensive, fourth round he gets overwhelmed. That's been the story of it when he's facing younger guys. And yet again, he's facing a young, durable, athletic guy who has a high IQ and a fairly deep toolkit as far as his skills on the feet. So who do you see should be the favorite in this fight? Because this is a big fight for both men. I feel like Font has has been coming along um, under the radar for an extent. The last year or so, he's really kind of been pouring it on, but he's really been coming along under under the radar. And I mean, Jose Aldo is is, is Aldo. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But um, how do you feel about who should be the favorite looking at, at, at this contest and who do you think will win? Uh, the favorite? I mean, Font's been on a really good streak. I, I can't... I mean, like, he's been on a really good streak, but some of the guys, you know, like... His win, he has four to pass wins. Marlon Marais is a good win, but Marais has kind of been done. His his chin isn't there. His durability isn't there. I think he'd already been knocked out once or twice previously before. Ricky Simon is a good win, but once again, Ricky Simon isn't really an elite bantamweight. He beat Sergio Pettis a couple years ago. He hasn't been super active, and in the fights he's won, it's been against guys who were talented, but like tragically flawed. At this point, Marlon Marais can't take a shot anymore. Ricky Simon is tough and he's gritty, but he's not a really good athlete. He's not a great striker. Um, Cody Garbrandt is a dynamic striker and he's a dynamic wrestler, but due to the fact he's leaned so much on his athleticism and his chin being not the best, he's he's not really able to enact a technical or continuous assault as far as his striking, his striking offensively or on counters. So it's really hard for me. While I while Fonts looks very good. He looks very good against 
tough but ultimately technically limited competition. Jose Aldo is physically limited as far as the pace he can fight at, but technically Font hasn't fought anybody within the realm of a Jose Aldo at all. He, he hasn't fought anybody who's anywhere close to the poise, close to defensive awareness, uh, close to the accuracy and counterpunching, or even someone with remotely close to with the same caliber of a jab or offensive repertoire. So it's hard for me to just say Font is going to be the winner because I haven't seen him face somebody who's able to match his skill set or someone who, you know, has an answer. He throws a punch and guys are getting hit. He's the one slipping and dodging and getting clinches and tearing people up. That's not going to be the case against Aldo. I mean, there's things he can do to get to Aldo, but there's not going to be the wide open opportunities. There's not going to be him landing combinations and just stepping out without paying a price. There's not going to be someone who's afraid to punch with him because that guy lacks a chin or that guy lacks the defensive awareness to get his shots off and get away from them. So for that reason, I'm probably going to say I'm going to favor Aldo. Um, Font's younger. He's good enough that if he can push the pace, he could probably wear Aldo down and overwhelm him. But I don't know that he's going to be able to push the pace against somebody who's not providing him clear, wide, open, consistent openings. You have to be a certain caliber of fighter to beat Jose Aldo, and you have to take a certain amount of punishment to beat Jose Aldo. Rob Font, in his four-win streak, has pretty much had the fights his way. When he fought Cody Gar- Cody Garbrandt, he had it his way. Ricky Simon mostly had his way. Marlis, Marlon Marais, he had a few, he had some rough spots early, but as soon as he hit him, the fight was done. Marais didn't really have anything for him. So what's going to happen when he hits a guy clean and it doesn't go away? What's going to happen when he throws a leg kick and the guy checks it? He throws a jab and the guy slips it. He throws a one-two and the guy parries, steps around him. That's what's going to happen against Jose Aldo. He's going to actually have to work for this technically and physically. He, he, he just doesn't outclass him. And until I see him do it against a person who's comparable in skill and experience, I have to favor Aldo. Aldo's faced a better competition in the past couple of years. If I'm correct, he's fought more. And even in the fights he's he's won, he's, he's beaten better competition recently. Pedro Munoz is better than Ricky Simon. Marlon, uh, Marlon Vera is better than Ricky Simon. He's better than... Um, Marlon Marais at this point, Peter Yan, the guy he lost to in a fairly competitive fight, is better than anybody that Rob Font's ever fought. So I don't know what's going to happen when Rob Font gets in a bad spot and he can't just outslick somebody or turn a fight around quickly. So I'm going to favor Aldo. I, I think if Aldo gets extended and has to really work, like has to really work and fight at pace, um, he can be worn down. He can be walked down. But that's assuming that Font can handle each and everything that Jose Aldo is dishing out to him. Max Holloway did it, Volkanovski did it, and who else? Peter Yan did it. Um, not too many other people have been able to stand up to Jose Aldo when they've forced him to work at a higher pace than he wants to work at. Most times when he's forced to work at a higher pace, he puts guys away. And I'm not saying he puts Fawn away, but I think he can do enough to uh, to win a fight, a five-round fight. So let me ask this. This is the last question about this before we move on to something else because it's really been – standing out to me lately. What is Jose, what is Aldo's le- legacy in MMA? And I ask that because, in my opinion, he should be considered one of the top two featherweights of, of all time, either him or Max Holloway. I remember his run through the WEC when he was pounding guys away, like um, Uriah Faber, Mike Brown, even before those fights. But it seems like there is a growing conversation around him not being that hot or people not having as much of a remembrance on the greatness of his legacy. Is that something that's similar that's going on with um, Fader at, at, at heavyweight? Have people just lost their damn minds? What is Aldo's legacy when it comes to being on the list of like the greatest of all time? I think it's the same thing that happened to uh, Michael Jordan, to a lesser extent, the same thing that's happening to Cam Newton. People don't understand the circumstances, and so they downplay the performance. Like when Cam Newton was with the New England Patriots, that team, most of their veterans sat out. They didn't have a running game. They didn't have a really good offense. He had no weapons around him. Seven and nine might as well have been a Super Bowl with that team. Then he caught COVID and came back. I mean, like, nobody, everybody's like, oh, he performed badly. You're not looking at all the circumstances. What he did with that team with limited resources, with no training camp was very impressive. But when you look at it, we, you think of Cam Newton as the former MVP, Heisman Trophy, one of the best athletes and playmakers in history, it looks bad because he hasn't been dynamic recently. He hasn't been as 
much of a force of nature recently, and that's what happened with Jose Aldo. You went years without seeing Jose Aldo really get touched, except when he fought um, Conor McGregor, he got stopped, but then he came right back and he beat the hell out of Frankie Edgar and a bunch of other people. And then you saw against um, Max Holloway a couple times, and even though he lost, he at least had moments, a round or two, round and a half, where he was competitive, and the fight looked exciting, the fight looked dynamic, the fight looked like it was in question. The thing is, since he's gone to Bantamway, his first start off there, I think he lost to he lost to Marais, and then he uh, got a title fight after that, if I recall correctly. And that that just wasn't a bad look. It makes it seem like it makes it seem like before he was this untouchable guy, who any opportunity he got was earned, and he deserved more opportunities. But then he comes into the Bantamway division off a loss from Volkanovski. He gets Marlon Marais, has another loss, and then gets a title fight with Peter Yan, like. It makes people question his genuineness as a fighter and his character as a fighter. And seeing him struggle or seeing him brutally beaten against Jan, that's the most recent impression of him. So a lot of people never saw him at his peak. They don't know Jose Aldo was that dude. Jose Aldo might as well have been the Floyd Mayweather of mixed martial arts. They don't know that because they've never seen that. They've only seen this Jose Aldo. And this Jose Aldo, while he's been impressive in spurts, spots he hasn't nearly been as dominant or as forceful or as dynamic as he as as he was in his prime and for people who've never seen his prime they have no point of reference they have no reason to respect what he's doing they they just think he's some old guy who's hanging on so as long as he fights i think things are going to be taken out of context as far as career once he retires officially then that's when people will as a whole, we'll start having more appreciation. Hardcore still appreciate the fact that he's at this age and he's still able to hang with the best fighters in the world. But you know how casual fans are, young fans now, either you win or you didn't. And if you didn't, the hell with you. Uh, it happens to everybody. Conor McGregor, people question his record. Khabib, Khabib gets his, his record question, and as he gets further along, people are going to continue to question it. They're going to be like, you didn't really beat a lot of top guys until you got the championship. Prior to you getting the championship, you were beating a bunch of 17th through 13th ranked fighters. You weren't beating any elite guys on your way to the title. You you got guided to the title. You won it, and then you started beating elite guys. Now, yeah, you beat them, but you didn't have to fight them on your way up and maintain. You got to cruise nice and smooth while they beat the hell out of each other, and then you got them at the end of that. So it happens to the best fighters. It happens to the best athletes, and it's going to happen to Jose Aldo. But um, I think once he retires, his greatness will be uh, – more appreciated. But when you see the way he lost to Volkanovski, the way he lost to Peter Jan, um, you know, even losing to Marlon Marais, who now can't seem to buy a win, it does it does make it seem like maybe he's a guy who your dad or your friend typed up and he never was really that good. You know how it is nowadays. He's good, but he's never really that good. GSP was a fraud. Kamara Usman is the best. The guys the GSP beat were a bunch of pushovers. Jordan was scoring on a bunch of accountants and plumbers. You know how it goes. The further you get away from it, the more exaggerated you have to be in disrespecting the level of competition to, to make your argument. And I agree with that. I feel like um, it, it's just it's just another thing of that social media space where people can get on Twitter and say whatever the hell they want, be loud and wrong, as I frequently say. And I think not recognizing what earlier generations have done in a sport is something that's becoming um, – an epidemic across sports, like you said, with mentioning Michael Jordan, it's going to happen to LeBron as well, too. It's going to happen. It, I'm surprised it, it'll happen to Tom. Well, it'll happen to Tom, Tom Brady at some point, even though it's almost undeniable. Hey, it's, 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 already, it's already happening. It's already happening. Yeah. Mac Jones. They say Mac Jones is a carbon copy. In fact, Mac Jones' statistics are better than Tom at the same time in their rookie year. Like, really? Like, it, it, there's so many different conversations that are popping up like that. Can I ask you a question? Kind of unfortunate to watch. Like even I remember, like there was a, there's a clip that's been going around this week of when um, Aldo finished off Cub Swanson with the double knee to the face. Like you don't see that type of stuff consistently anymore in in MMA. Like you can say, oh well, um, Masvidal finished asking like that. No, Aldo hit this guy with two knees in the face at the same time in seven seconds, and he's still the only person to ever finish. Cub Swanson with strikes to the head, period. And that was almost, and that was 10 years ago. 
that he was he was fighting elite guys and not just beating. He was stopping and WEC. He was stopping elite guys. Elite guys were coming in and he was just dismantling them. And the weird thing about it is to me is like, you know, like when when we grew up, you had to watch a VHS tape where you just had to hear about it from somebody else. All these people have all these opinions. Go to YouTube or go to UFC.com and literally watch how good this person was in comparison to everybody else. It's not like you have to take my word for it. Oh, Jose Aldo was a bad man. Literally go to the internet. Highlight Jose Aldo's prime. And if you can't, if you can't tell how great he was watching that, I can't take your take on combat sports seriously. I no longer care what you have to say. You watch a video and you see he's trash, we don't need to talk. You had to name three fights, three fights out of those history that you wanted to point people to go see. Which three would you pick? Um, probably what the fight, the the second fight against Chad Mendez, just to just to see what happens when a guy really tries to push Jose, jump on him right away, and the price you have to pay. Like when Jose was in his prime, that fight, uh, the fight against Cub Swanson, because that was just so dynamic. I'm kind of tied between that the fight between Uriah Faber and the fight the first fight with um with um God, I just said his name Mike um, Brown not not Mike Brown yeah yeah Mike Brown yeah I go with Mike Brown because that was another that was even though Mike Brown was criminally underrated he was a champion he was a pretty tough guy those three fights because the fight with um the fight with Swanson showed you just how, dyn how dynamic and how decisive a striker he was. The fight against, um, I keep forgetting that guy's name. He's Team Alpha Male. He, he fought Conor McGregor. Um, he's retired now. He's a wrestler. I cannot oh, remember his name. But, God, um, his face. Not that yeah, one. Chad Mendes. There you go. Chad Mendes. Yeah. But, you know, Chad Mendes, it's like, because people thought Jose was just, you know, slick. And if you made him work and you hit him, he would just fold. And at that point, Mendes was one of the best finishers in the in the sport. And he gave as good as he got with Mendes. And then eventually outclassed him for a win. That kind of showed the full depth of his skill set over five rounds in a high-paced fight, which you usually didn't see him in. And in Mike Brown, you just had him against a guy who, even as a fighter, was a really good strategist and a really good game plan type guy. And Aldo just outclassed him. Yeah, I would go with a lot of those two. I would also go with the first Frankie Edgar fight because he was coming off of a back injury because he was in a motorcycle accident. And he was the first person that I could really nullify everything that Edgar was doing. Because if you look back to Edgar's losses to Benson Henderson, people still can argue maybe he won one or two of those fights. Yeah. Fights Aldo, there was no question that Aldo beat him both times. And I think that that really kind of stood out to me that this guy is great. I really wish he would have. I know there's a chance he, he could have moved up to fight Pettis. I think he would have beaten Pettis. And there, I know there were rumors that he was offered the fight against um, um, Khabib. And it's really interesting to me because Khabib's always been able to take people down. And Aldo's always been almost impossible to take down or keep down. And it just would have been interesting to see what happened to Khabib when he can't, if he couldn't get that takedown. And he's just getting cracked left and right. Like really going for it and just being punished and see how long. Aldo's cardio holds up, or does Khabib's chin hold up? You know, it's 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 a fight that I really, two fights I really wish we could have seen. Yeah, I agree with you um, for that. Uh, is there anything else that stands out on this card to you before we move on? Uh, let me double check. I mean, there's there's a lot of good fights, but the thing about it is, it's as we talked about before, they're really trying to fill their quota with with the UFC with ESPN, and it's not. The, the selling point of this card is always going to be Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. The second main event, the main card, is a lot of good fights, but it's not the kind of fights that draw on casual fans. It's not the kind of fights that get big ratings. And most of these fights aren't going to determine the direction of their uh, their division dramatically. So, like I said, there's a lot of good fights, but there's not a lot of fights that, that I feel need to be discussed in, in the same time it is. Okay, I agree with that. Let's move on to our third topic of the day, just some news items. Um, Kevin Lee was released this uh, yesterday, and I was really interested in the response that a lot of people had because um, th there were some that weren't, weren't surprised, which, which you know is where I kind of fell in line. But a lot of people were really looking at this as like a grave 
miscarriage of justice, which really kind of stood out to me because I don't feel that way. I mean, he is two and five in his last seven. Yeah, he's lost to some tough opponents. I mean, but he fought Daniel Rodriguez, lost there. Um, Charles Oliveira, Rafael Dos Anjos, Al Alquinta, and Tony Ferguson with wins over Edson Barbosa and Gregor Gillespie in that run. He also has a, a, a good win over Michael Chiesa, uh, but that one was kind of questionable as well, too. I don't think that this is a bad cut. Um, I'm not too upset with this. I understand that he was a, a fan favorite for some. He's still young. He's only 29 years old, so maybe he can fight his way back into the UFC if that's what he wanted to do. I don't think that's what a lot of guys are going to start doing anyway, though, because there's money to be made in other fashions. But and he had weight cut issues too, trying to get down to 155. So, what are your thoughts about this? Were you surprised to to see this, or, or what side do you fall on when it comes to Kevin Lee getting cut? I wasn't. I wasn't surprised. I was the only thing that surprised me is the UFC is not generally. They usually make, let people fight their contracts out. That's generally what they. I've seen them do for the most part. And he's still got a name. He's got some cachet. So it was shocking me that they let somebody with some value as far as fans either liking them or just being disgusted by him. They let somebody with some cachet go. Generally, they don't do that. Um, considering the losses he's had, and even though he had that nonsense drug drug issue, which was a sky medicine, which makes it even stupider, um, it didn't shock me just because he hasn't been winning. Uh, I assume he's getting paid a fairly decent amount of money because they thought he had, he had star potential if he could put wins together. And just the other issues they've had with him with the weight and the, the issue with the drugs, which isn't a real issue, but still an issue the UFC has to deal with, it didn't come to me as a shock. The UFC doesn't like headaches unless you're a headache who makes them a lot of money or a headache who was just such an outstanding fighter that we're going to put up with it because you have so much value. You legitimize our opponents. You legitimize our division. You help legitimize that. At this point, Kevin Lee's not that guy. He wasn't very successful at welterweight um at lightweight he had a time where he was pretty much considered a uh, future champion but after he failed in his title attempt with um ferguson he's never really gotten back to that peak he's had multiple injuries and he's been known more for what he's done outside the cage than anything he's done in the cage for years so from that perspective um i didn't think they would keep him because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who maybe plays ball or is a company guy um and he wasn't winning and um, any real heat he had or attention he had was was waning because he was unable to put wins together. So from that regard, it was not a shock to me that he was cut. The best thing that's come from, from him being cut is I'm hoping fighters are paying attention and they understand you need to treat this like a business. You don't, I understand being brave and taking the best. Take on the best when you have to take on the best. I know it sounds good and I want to fight the best and I want to do this. I get that. I get that. That makes sense to me. And eventually that's where the money is. But until that's where the money is, you don't need to do it. Because Kevin Lee was taking fights on short notices. He was moving up weights, moving down weights, jumping into interim title fights, fighting through injuries, all because he wanted to fight at greatness. And I have to think on a certain level he thought it would endear him to the UFC. And it didn't. The UFC never takes you taking short notice fights as you saving the card or doing them a favor. Fighters still say that I did the UFC a favor. No, you didn't. To the UFC, you did their, you did your job, and you didn't do your job all the way unless you won. If you didn't win, I'm not giving you any more credit because you didn't do what you were supposed to do as a fighter. It's your job to win. You didn't win, whether it's short notice. Your job supposed to, your job as a fighter is to always be ready. So everybody keeps saying I did the favor. I saved the card. Dana owes me. Dana doesn't owe you nothing. You did your job, and you didn't do it well enough to win. And ultimately, Kevin Lee took a lot of chances in his career of striving for greatness when he could have played it safe, fought out his contract, navigated his career intelligently, made a lot of money, and taken the path of least resistance. And there's a lot of fighters. Um, Sugar Sean uh, O'Malley is one of them who's openly said he's not fighting tough opponents until they pay him. And there's been fighters such as Khabib Nurmagomedov who didn't really start fighting elite guys until he became the champion. His record is not full of top five, top 10, top seven type fighters. It's a bunch of 13, 12, 13, 15, 17 fighters. Then he won the title and then he started fighting really good guys. But a lot of his career is him beating up on also rands and second tier guys. And he got moved and he manipulated things and moved himself into position when he got the title. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a business at the end of the day. 
you can't feed your kids off legacy. You can't feed your kids off of great fights. I understand honor. I understand dignity. But if honor and dignity were so important, why the hell did Dustin Poirier go for a third rematch with Conor McGregor? It's a money fight. It has nothing to do with honor and being the right way and doing the right things. These guys always say that stuff. But when they have a chance to get a big, big payday, they always take the big payday. Stipe complained about DC wanting Brock Lesnar. If Stipe would have beat DC, he wanted Brock Lesnar. He wanted the big payday, too. It's a business. At the end of the day, it's a business. You need to do what's best. Do not listen to Dale Cormier and just take the title fight because there's lots of titleists who complain about being broke. Ask Carla Esparza. She was broke, and there's a lot of guys who never fought for a title whose money, whose bank account is very healthy. It's just a business, and I hope this reminds fighters that it is a business and start treating it such. It is not a blood sport. It's a battle. You are a prize fighter. You are fighting for a prize. Make sure the prize you get from this fight is worth what you have to give up for it. Just like what we see going on in baseball right now with the lockout. Um, It's a business, and the owners are going to get rich while the athletes get a little bit richer but not as rich as them. Do you think he shows up in Bellator? Um. I'm not quite sure. I mean, he's coming up quite a losing streak. I don't know that he's really got a lot of value as far as, I mean, his losses have been pretty decisive. I think he might have to build himself up a little more. I don't know where he would go to. I don't know the Bellator is willing to pay him what the UFC was willing to pay him. That's another issue. It's a possibility. I mean, but if he can't make 55, I guess the Bellator 170, he could probably compete to a degree. But I don't know what it does for Bellator. Does it give him another viable fighter? Sure. It's a guy who was on his way out of the UFC who couldn't put a win together. Does that really help them sell themselves? Does that really help them establish themselves as, as more than a second or third rate organization? I don't know. Very true there, sir. Um, let's move on to some boxing because you brought it up before we got on the air today. We were going to talk about Dana White having COVID-19, but I don't want to talk about that shit. I'm, I'm, I'm done with that dude. Um Teofimo Lopez lost to Cambosis in what was a mandatory title defense. He was expected to win. Uh, this is like the fights where guys who are getting title shots based off of what their performance has been in the past. It's not a big name contest, but Lopez lost. It was a split decision between the two. So, Shawan, I'm going to turn it over to you. Talk to me about this fight, what you saw from a strategy standpoint and what, what went wrong for Lopez and what worked for Cambosis and what this means for both men. First off, I want to give I want to give praise to guys who fight their mandatories and win. Even though we always gauge somebody's greatness by beating other great fighters at that, or beating a great team or whatever, that's how we usually do it. There's something to be said for a guy who beats every guy he's supposed to beat. They don't lose to people they shouldn't be losing to. Floyd Mayweather never lost to somebody he really shouldn't lose to. For the most part, Oscar De La Hoya never really lost to somebody he shouldn't lose to. Manny Pacquiao, for the most part, never really lost to someone he shouldn't lose to. There's a certain amount of greatness in setting the bar. Now, you become elite when you go past the bar and you beat another great talent, another great fighter. But if you beat enough very good fighters, that can make you great in a certain degree because when you're fighting for money, you're fighting for attention, it's perfectly normal for you to fight down to the level of your opposition. GSP lost to Matt Serra. No offense to Matt Serra. That never should have happened. But it did because GSP got cocky. He, he, he got caught, and he lost to a guy he shouldn't have lost to. So I, I give praise to these other champions who have constantly fought mandatories, guys that aren't exciting, guys that don't come with a lot of money, and they have found a way to do their job, be professional, and find ways to win. Golovkin falls in that group. Bernard Hopkins falls in that group. Roy Jones falls in that group. A lot of those fighters are great fighters because they were always on point and ready to perform. And the only time they did lose was when they're facing someone who was of equal or superior greatness. That is a sign of greatness in and of itself. Lopez, Lopez made a couple mistakes. The first mistake was this. The fight kept getting pushed back. And because of it, I'm sure he took breaks in training. I'm sure he took time away to rest and recover. And ultimately, that's what that's what did him in. Cambosis never stopped training. It's, it's, it's been talked about now. Uh, he was having issues with his wife. His wife was having a baby. His grandfather died. 
He was forced to stay in a hotel for like a week and a half where he couldn't even see anybody, but he never lost track of what he was doing. He just kept training, kept watching film, kept, kept figuring out patterns, kept finding out things he could exploit. He was just all in. He was completely all in. I never got the impression that Teofimo Lopez was all in on this fight. I think he thought it was an easy fight. I thought he thought he outclassed this guy. He just beat Lomachenko. Who else can touch me? I beat the best guy in the world, the best pound-for-pound guy. I beat him and made it look easy. So I don't have anything else to worry about. I don't have any other challenges in front of me. You saw him in all the fights. You saw him doing tons of interviews. You saw him showing up, doing the talk show circuit and on video saying, this guy's trash. He's sitting on the, he's sitting on the sidelines where guys are fighting, you know, and his fight is getting pushed back further and further. And the second mistake he made, which actually is the first, was when he – pushed back against his his promoter, Bob Arum, so that his fight had to go to purse, had to go to a purse um, bid. So it got bought by a, a promoter. That promoter couldn't promote the fight. So then the fight got pushed back multiple times. And then the fight got bought up by the by the zone. And now the fight finally happened almost like a year later after the time it was supposed to happen. So in between the COVID, um, other traveling issues and his own issues with his promoter for finances, the fight just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And for a guy who has had a hard time making the weight and a guy who's at the top peak of his celebrity, it's going to be real hard to maintain your focus and real hard to maintain your weight and stay in the shape you need to be in to compete against a young, hungry guy who's not having trouble making the weight. And that was one of the main issues he had in this fight. He shouldn't be at 135 anymore. He should have beat Lomachenko. And if he's not rematching him for big money, he should have moved up. Instead, he tried to get a, an easy defense in so we could have one defense of the title, renegotiate with top rank, and then move up to 140 to get a big fight there. And in doing so, his dad and his management team exposed him because he had a hard time making the way in the first place. And you didn't see, you saw that in the fight. As the fight went along further, his explosiveness wasn't there. His snap wasn't there. The, the, the hand speed wasn't there. The movement wasn't there. The jab wasn't there. The defensive reactions weren't there. Um, he, he just didn't have it late. He was, t- he was totally out of it. He was getting backed up. He was getting chipped up, and he was getting bullied. Um, Cambosis, really, really the, the strategy Cambosis did was just one of common sense. One, we realized in the fight with Lomachenko, half of his success with Lomachenko was he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he hits hard. Lomachenko's not a, a lightweight. Lomachenko's probably a weight class or two smaller. So he could do that to Lomachenko. Cambosis isn't. Cambosis is comparable size, comparable length. You're not just going to back him up. He's not fearful of your power. Secondly, Cambosos, instead of trying to outboss him and get away from him, he met him. He came right out. Lopez threw combinations. Cambosos fired right back. Lopez went to the body. Cambosos went to the body. He forced him to work at a pace higher than he expected to. He thought Lopez thought he was going to come out, jump on him early, put him away early. First, second, third round. Cambosos met him at every angle. Every time he threw a shot, he fired right back. Every time he backed him up, he pushed Lopez back. Every time Lopez tried to build momentum, he, he punched him in the face and disrupted momentum. At every point, for every foot, every shot he landed, Lopez had to work extremely hard to land that shot, to get that forward pressure, to get that real estate he got. That's a bad recipe when you're a guy who's used to bullying guys, used to guys giving you space to pressure them, and you're a guy who has a hard time making the weight class. It, it, it's a recipe for disaster. You're working harder than you than you want to work, and you're at a weight you shouldn't be at. What does that mean? Late in the fight, you're going to tire. Late in the fight, you won't have that power. Late in the fight, your chin is going to fail you. And all those things happen against against Cambosas. I wouldn't even say Lopez fought a bad fight. He just physically wasn't, immensely wasn't prepared. He thought he was going to be able to have it his way completely, and he didn't address any of the holes that he had shown in his fights historically. He's not good when a guy... Is awkward. He he has an issue with speed, but he hadn't faced a lot of fast guys. But he has an issue with speed, and when he gets hit, he's not super durable. He doesn't like getting hit. Lomachenko backed him up. Lomachenko had him looking scared when he started putting punches together. Cambosa is a bigger, stronger, hits harder, and has faster hands. So all he did was meet Lopez at the point of attack, and instead of backing up or boxing, he continued to press Lopez. He said, "If you're going to come beat me, you're going to come beat me. I'm going to make you fight for everything." Lopez couldn't maintain the pace. Lopez couldn't handle the physicality. And after he got tired, Lopez had no ideas. He didn't expect to have to fight. He didn't have to expect to have to box. So his only his only goal in the fight was to land a big shot. 
and the big shot he needed to land never came, and he was just summarily outworked through the entirety of the fight. Now, it wasn't completely dominant, but Lopez couldn't put any sustained success together. All his success was based on the fact that he's a better athlete. He's a better, on paper, class of fighter. It wasn't because he made any technical adjustment, because he didn't. He threw the body, and he threw bombs to the head. He couldn't wear him down with the body shots, and he could, couldn't land the right shot necessary to put him away with the shots to the head. So he was just outclassed. He was just outworked. And uh, he what happened to him is what he's done to everybody else. He was bullied. He was bullied. He was backed up. He was outworked. He was out-hustled. And that's what lost in the fight. He didn't look prepared. He didn't look focused. And he didn't look like he had any help in this corner. His dad gave him no useful advice. And Lopez, in and of himself, does not have the ring IQ to make adjustments mid-round to win a fight that he doesn't, he, he doesn't, he's not the boss in. As soon as he wasn't the boss, the fight was a wrap. He has to be the boss for him to win. And the first time he wasn't, he lost and lost badly. Let's talk about what that loss means to his career, Lopez's career there, since he is the bigger man coming into that fight. Can he recover? Um, what is the immediate impact? Um, let's talk about that from a boxing standpoint. Can he recover? And if so, how? The media impact is he was he was possibly going to have a fight with Devin Haney, which would be a big money fight, so he could be the unified champion, have all the titles, legitimately have all the titles. Um, there was also a chance for him to move up to 140 and demand maybe a big money fight with Josh Taylor right away because he's the you know he would have been the unified champion coming up with the guy who beat Lomachenko, has all the momentum, moves up a weight class, and gets to fight the best fighter at that weight class for all the titles again. Win or lose is a big payday. He puts on a good performance. It doesn't hurt him. If he if he wins, it puts him in a different stratosphere. So all that money's fucked up. He is no longer in control. He's not a big enough name or a big enough draw to dictate terms to anybody. Uh, the only person who really draws is Geronta Davis. He's the one who's proven that he's somewhat of a draw. Teofimo Lopez was never a draw. Beating Lomachenko is what made him a star. He, he wasn't a star prior to that. He was a boxing star, not a legitimate star where people knew who he was and he had a nickname and he had a... He was a household name. He wasn't in any of that. So he doesn't have any of that to fall back on him to maintain that he gets the big paydays that he wants or he gets the treatment he wants. Second of all, because he didn't defend his title and he lost them all, he renegotiated his contract with top rank. He's no longer going to get to – he has no leverage with them now. He already burned them by saying that what they wanted to pay him for the Cambosis fight in the first place was too low. And maybe if he fought Cambosis right away, maybe he beats them. But he didn't. He let it go to purse bid, and then we had that whole nonsense happen. So now, moving forward, he has no leverage to top rank. And on top of that, he's going to be getting paid a lower rate by top rank because he no longer has the titles because he lost that fight. So he has no leverage moving up to 140 because he lost the fight. So he can't just name, he can't demand the best guy out there. He has no leverage with his promotion because he lost the fight and he lost the titles. And all the momentum and goodwill he built up from beating. Lomachenko and going on that run where he beat Nakatani, Kome, and Loma one after the other after the other has all gone away because he was systematically defeated by Cambosis. And then what's worse, he came after the post fight and said that he won the fight. Like it's just, it's been a calamity of errors. And he really thought, and I like the fact that he was ambitious and he tried to take things over. But the fact of the matter is he overplayed his hand. He wasted all his momentum. He's got his, his, he's got an adversarial relationship with his promotional company. His dad's got an adversarial relationship with another promotional company. He has no titles. He's coming off a bad loss that I believe is going to change him. Maybe it won't ruin him, but he's not going to be world-class for as long as he should be world-class because of the beating he took in that fight. So all around, his value has dropped, and he's going to have to work his way back into contention and work his way back into being a name. He's still a name in the fact that he's somebody who comes something great, but when you have losses like this and you don't have a huge fan base or huge money behind you, it becomes very hard to attract the type of fights you want to attract to become the kind of guy he wants. He's going to want Devin Haney now. Devin Haney ain't going to bother mentioning his name now. Jaron Davis, no need to mention him. Ryan Garcia, no need to mention him. George Cambosas, no need to mention him. He's got no leverage. He can't really call anybody out until he puts two or three wins together. Until then, he just got to sit and earn his way back up. And there's no guarantee if 140 – that he's going to be able to earn his way back up. He might have single-handedly ruined his career with this loss and this poor performance. And for Cambosis, he, he's in charge. Cambosis has all the titles. Devin Haney emailed him. Ryan Garcia, everybody's talking about Cambosis. He's in the driver's seat now. He's got all the belts. He beat the man who beat the man. 
Fant, he's got a whole country on his side. He's dictating shots now. You want a title fight, you got to go where he says. He doesn't have to go where anybody says unless everybody's paying him a whole lot of money because he's the guy who won the bell. He's the guy who's got everybody on his, behind him. He's got all the momentum. All these other guys, they don't have any win that legitimizes them as much as this win over Teofimo legitimizes Cambosos. Nobody's even got anything on their resume to argue with him against. Anybody wants to fight with them, he's going to dictate terms. And if they don't want to have terms dictated to them, he'll just move on to the next person. He beat the man who beat the man. He doesn't have to answer anybody's questions or kowtow to anybody's demands. They've got to they've got to come see him now. I want to actually use that to segue into this weekend's fight because Devin Haney is fighting, and as you mentioned last weekend's defeat was a he um, brought a halt to the talks from currently for a Lopez Haney fight. So um, Haney is fighting Diaz Jr. this weekend. Talk to me about that fight and what do you expect to see. It's it's for, before I get into it. Just I have to say I feel I always feel bad for Devin Haney because Haney's always in these awkward positions. His fights have never been super dynamic. Even in his best win, he got rocked late, and people kept talking about how he was almost finished. Nobody's talking about how he dominated. They're talking about how he was almost finished. When he beat Gamboa before, everybody's talking about Tank's knockout and Teofimo beating Loma. He's always matching compared to these guys, and he's always seems to be a step behind and beating in the way he wins and who he wins against. Now, once again, he's fighting Jojo Diaz, a former title title holder at 130 and title challenger, good fighter, former Olympian, um, uh, not a slick boxer, but a seasoned veteran veteran fighter, fights at a high rate, can box a little bit, can brawl a little bit, not not the biggest puncher, but a very accomplished, very well-tested, very well-developed fighter who's who's a legitimate top, top 10, top five guy. Um, if Haney beats him, it's a good win. But is it a win that overshadows what Cambosos does? And also, in winning these, if he wins a fight, he's going to be compared to what Tank Davis does next week. So he's always in these awkward positions where he's a guy who gets a lot of attention and he demands a lot of attention, but he hasn't done a whole lot of it. When he beat Gambos, it was a boring decision. When he beat Lenars, he it was pretty much a one-sided fight, and then he got rocked. The only excitement was him getting rocked and almost getting finished. And now he's getting another fight, but he's fighting a guy who's not Teofimo and a guy who's not Gervonta, which is what we want him to see. We want to see him against those guys. Um, it's a good fight. Haney should win. He's he's probably the bigger guy. He's probably the most more technically sound guy. The one issue I would say is with most of his fights, he's had them his way. I will say he's not been in boxing matches. He's been in one way. He's been assaulting guys because he's fighting guys who were lesser athletes guys who were faded in the later stages of their career and guys who don't have the caliber of skill set he has. In fighting Jojo Diaz, it's a guy who's close to his prime, a guy who's faced as good, if not better, boxers, and a guy who's got enough experience and world championship pedigree to really expose some of the holes that Devin Haney has. He's not super durable. He is also a guy who should be fighting at 140. And I think that part of the reason he almost got finished in his last fight because he's fighting a weight class down and his chin isn't able to absorb punishment the way it should. If for some reason Devin Haney gets caught in a firefight with Diaz, I would favor Diaz. Diaz, I think, is a more durable fighter. He's a grittier fighter. He's a fighter who's more prepared for extended exchanges and physical firefights. I don't know that Haney has the temperament or the physicality to navigate that. It shouldn't ever come to that, but given that Haney has been caught before, and given the fact that Diaz is, is familiar with high-end boxers, I could see an opportunity where Diaz could force him to extend an exchange and Haney ends up paying a price. Haney has generally fought guys who aren't, weren't in his class and had nothing for him. And he's built a reputation off that and he's done very well. He showcased his skills. But it still doesn't change the fact that he's faced mostly guys who were step and a half below him. And the first time he faced a guy who wasn't, he looked great, but still came the closest he's ever come to losing a fight in his life. And now he's facing a younger, fresher guy who's not as accomplished, but still is accomplished on the world level. I, I can't say I would say that Jojo Diaz beats him. That I'm not going to lie and be like, hey, I, I see this coming. I see an avenue for his success. I see a way that he can win the fight. But given the way that Teofimo Lopez just lost his fight, I would be stunned, absolutely stunned, if it didn't force Devin Haney to lock in and find a way to win this fight. Because if he wins this fight, 
He can move on. He has some arguments. The money's still coming in. He loses this fight. It's a huge setback for him because much like Teofimo Lopez, he doesn't have a big fan base. He doesn't draw a lot of fans. They don't hate him. They don't love him. Um, He's a very good fighter, but he's not very exciting. So losing a title or having a loss on his record does a tremendous amount of damage to his momentum and his standing because if you look at his record closely, he hasn't done anything that would soften the blow to a loss to a guy like Diaz. If he loses to Diaz, essentially he's lost to the first guy he's fought in his prime. The first young, healthy, active, strong fighter he faced, who's of a world-class caliber he faced, he lost to. That's what that would be. Beating up a used-up Gamboa and beating up a faded Linares, that's what you're supposed to do. So if he loses to a young, active guy now in his first fight against a young, active, world-class guy, it really calls into his whole resume into question. And it sets him back not just one or two fights. It sets him back two to four fights in my eyes because he's not really a name and he's not really a draw. So what happens when guys who aren't names and aren't draws lose fights they should win? Nothing good happens. That's Teofuma Lopez. His career has been turned upside down. And if Haney loses his fight, his career is going to be turned upside down too. Do you see him winning or not? Like, what is your prediction? Um, you know, what? I'm just gonna go. I'll, I'll say Diaz. I'll say Diaz pulls it out. I, I think I in 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 my mind, I see Haney clearly outboxing him. He should be bigger. He should be longer. He should be quicker. But once again, this is probably the most not. He's not the most accomplished guy he's faced but he's the most accomplished guy who's close to his prime that he's faced. He hasn't faced a guy who's still on his way up or at least maintaining the power, the peak of his powers athletically in regards to durability. That's where my questions come in because, like I said, he's been beating up on young guys with no experience, old guys with experience with no ability, old guys with experience and ability who were elite three years ago. That's not as impressive as it seems. When you look at his record closely, this is the toughest opponent he's going to have in the extent of his career. I don't know that this is the toughest opponent that Jojo Diaz has faced. He faced Gary Russell Jr., faster hands, quicker boxer, probably a better overall technical boxer than Haney. So this isn't the best guy Jojo's faced. This is the best guy that Haney's faced. I don't think he can stop Haney. I don't think Haney's that shinny, but I could see him hurting him and out hustling him to a decision win. And it, it and it, it'd be a tight decision win because I think Haney's a bigger puncher and he's the bigger, better athlete and, and probably the more technical boxer, but he hasn't really faced real resistance. And Jojo Diaz, as limited as he can be in certain regards, has never been the kind of fighter who just rolls over. So I don't know what he's going to do when the guy fights back from round one to round 12, unless he just completely outclasses him, which he could. I just don't see that happening. Good stuff there, sir. Um, so we're going to go ahead and close it out. We're at an hour now. Um, why don't you let me know what else you're working on this week? Um, I already released the article about Nunez versus Pena and an article about the four things that make Rose Namajunas elite. I think I have one that should be coming out that'll be talking about Colby Covington, the good, the bad, the ugly, about his in-cage performance and skills and his out-of-cage performance and skills both before, on the way to the rematch with Usman, and kind of taking a closer look at them after it as well. Good stuff there, sir. And I'll be doing my coverage of pro wrestling and MMA as I usually do. Should be another hey, podcast. One question, one question. Was that guy Was that guy part of the, the WWE, or was that really a fan who attacked that guy? No, that was a real fan. That was an actual fan. He jumped the barricade. He was arrested. He... um. Got charged with assault and a couple other uh, charges as well, too. That was a real fan. Like, just a re- regular fan, not like somebody who knew him or something? Why would he do that? That's the third time that that's happened to that wrestler, actually, too. Right? That's the third time since he's been in the, in, in the WWE that something like that has happened. Do they just not care about his safety? It's just that particular guy. Um, this is the third time it's happened. Some people get out of control, uh, and that's legit what, what, what went down. But he was arrested. He was escorted out. Um they got some good hits in on him, and was that was a big guy. That was, that guy was pretty. He was short. He had, a, he had a whole full. He was running, and he just knocked him over. I was like, Man, "Is this he a, a good?" He had a good head start. 
Yeah, I know people are breaking down. They're like, well, I thought he trained grappling. I'm like, if you have a 200-plus man run out of the blue and blindside you, if he, he would have hit me. I'd probably get knocked out just with my head snapping back, hitting the floor. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he did what he needed to do for as long as he could. But, um, he should have got his guard. Yeah, it's really it's, – it's that easy. Okay. But, um, yeah, that's all we have today, folks. So thank you for – Jumping in and listening to episode 223 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Uh, I am Raphael Garcia. This is Shawan Humes, and we'll be back next week to talk about all things in combat sports. So thank you for your continued support. Everyone have a good and safe rest of your week. Everybody have a great evening. Don't get too crazy. You too, Raphael. <laughs> all right, man.